Hi everyone, from Impact Alpha Media, this is Returns on Investment, a show about the impact investing marketplace. Live, on tape, from New York, I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company LiquidNet. With me, as always, is Imogen Rose Smith, a senior writer with Institutional Investor Magazine. Hello, Imogen. Hi, Brian. And by the magic of podcast technology is Impact Alpha Editor-in-Chief David Bank. He joins us from the Bay Area. Hi, David. Hi, Brian. Hi, Imogen. On today's show, we're going to talk about scaling impact. According to the latest Global Impact Investing Network survey, the impact investing asset managers they uh, surveyed manage about $35.5 billion in assets. That's a compounded growth of 18% over the past two years, which is pretty impressive and sounds like a lot. But in the context of a $70 trillion capital market, it's largely just a rounding error at best. So what does it mean to scale impact investing? Is it the amount of money going into the sector? Is it the amount of quantifiable impact being generated? Is it the size of the deals? And who decides? So Imogen, you cover the institutional investing market, the types of organizations that can write very large checks. Will they ever become impact investors? I think they will become impact investors, but you'll just have to call it something else. Um, you know, I think that when you look at the size of the global challenges that we're facing, you know, combating climate change, dealing with water scarcity and shortages, combating poverty, um, inequality, so on and so forth, really the things that are outlined in the UN Sustainable Development Goals, those challenges need large amounts of capital. They need large institutional asset owners, as well as governments and other entities to be writing big checks. The challenge for institutional investors is that they are still very skittish about the word impact. So you're seeing a lot of the sort of the large institutional asset owners like the California pension funds, New York pension funds, even Oregon and others talk about what is known as ESG, which is environment, social responsibility and corporate governance. A lot of them are coming up with policies, seeming like they want to have more of a socially conscious investment approach. That is, you know, a very positive trend. However, what you are seeing less of is actually committed capital. And what a lot of these investors, even sort of smaller firms like the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, for example, are having problems with is coming up with managers and transactions that they feel comfortable investing in. So there's a real disconnect between sort of some of the rhetoric and what people are actually doing. Now, Imogen, you and I both live in Brooklyn uh, right now, and, and, and there's this notion of you know, artisanal, locally grown, locally sourced uh, impact investment opportunities, uh, which is all very well and good for our you know, cute uh, Brooklyn neighborhoods. But in order to go to scale, uh, how do we get these social projects to become, if we're almost commoditized or boring solutions that would be attractive to the, the institutions that can write very large checks? Well, that's one of the fundamental things you have to do. Before, you have to commoditize wait, before, you, wait, before you answer that, Imogen, let me just interject that I live in the Bay Area of California and Brooklyn borrowed all that from the Bay Area. So just be clear about that. Okay, our, our, our Berkeley friend here speaks up. So, David, you've been covering the impact investing market for many years now. And, and of course, from your perspective in Berkeley, you, you like things that are artisanal and small batch. But what do you see as scale? Or how, how do you think of uh, the, the people who are active in the impact investing marketplace? How do they think of scale for this space? Well, I think I, I, I don't disagree with Imogen in terms of the amounts needed. And, and if you look at the SDGs, and I think the price tag put on the 
the com the complete sustainable development goals is in something like seven trillion a year, and you know the the of investment needed. So obviously, this is hugely beyond the scope of the current impact investing universe. So um, if you measure it by you know capital commensurate with the need, you know we're we're not we're not really close. I will say, however, that if you measure it against the growth curve or the arc of of, of growth, that things are scaling up. And so, you know, self-identified impact funds that a few years ago for their first funds were, you know, 20, 30, 40 million dollar funds are now becoming 100, 150, in some cases, you know, 400 million dollar funds. The fund managers who are on identifiable, measurable impact strategies, and you can, you know, argue exactly how impactful they are, but at least they're holding themselves to some kind of impact standards. You know, those fund managers are now managing, you know, plus or minus a billion dollars. Leapfrog has gone over a billion. You know, DBL Partners um, is is near a billion, and uh, and TPG, you know, which is which is really coming from the more classic mainstream private equity space, has committed to raise a a two billion dollar fund called TPG Rise, and they've enlisted Elevar capital out here that is a impact fund to help them raise that and to source the deal flow for that. So fund sizes are growing just like they did in hedge funds and in other markets, and that presumably will continue to grow. So uh, there is a growth curve there. You saw you said the gin numbers there, those are going up year by year. But as I said, it's not nearly enough to, to meet the need. So it's a sort of glass half full, glass half empty question at some level. I mean, to me, in some ways, you can draw an analogy between the impact investing space and the hedge fund industry. Right, the hedge fund industry, just like impact, was originally the purview of particularly high net worth individuals, some foundations, and some endowments. Over time, institutional investors started getting involved, and suddenly the market took off and became massive. That in turn had an effect on performance and returns, and you know, had various, it also sort of institutionalized and professionalized the business. One of the fundamental differences, however, is that process took around 20 years. And we don't have that amount of time. The issues that we're talking about need to be addressed today. So one of the challenges is, you know, we can't do endless education sessions with every fire and police pension fund known to man explaining why impact investing is necessary. And again, getting the consultants on board is still a very early part of the process. So I think one of the challenges that the impact investing community has to address and look at is, okay, if we know that we want scale, then are we doing the right things and are we using our money most effectively to achieve that scale? Should we, for example, instead of doing our own direct PR ideals, should we be putting our money into seeding some investment funds that can actually reach these broader investors? Should we be talking about helping facilitate project finance transactions that can be done in the sort of billion dollar range instead of focusing on these very niche markets and areas. I think uh, you know Imogen this is this this recalls the conversations we've had over the over the course of time here and I do think that that one of the things you've just hit on is this project finance kind of rollout stage that a lot of projects are getting to. Sometimes in the case, you know, sometimes they are things that had been you know, pilots or, or smaller scale and now are being rolled up into things that can be fi financed in large part with with debt capital rather than than equity and that are much bigger tickets. They might be 
lower returns, but they're also lower risk and they become institutional grade in various ways. And there's a lot of work going on to sort of package things in in, in ways that institutions can can take advantage of them because the like you say, the check sizes have to be quite large and the sort of risk parameters have to be known. And the, you know, the one that's that's well known is the green bond market, which you know in the past eight years has gone to be about a hundred billion dollar market from nothing. There was just the other day launched the first the World Bank, which launched the first green bonds, launched the first SDG bond. So the proceeds are earmarked for for, for SDGs and the, the risk profile is like any other bond. So there are, you know, ways to put these impact projects into containers, into envelopes that large institutional investors can uh, can can buy off on. So then it seems to me in part like the role of say the the Ford Foundation or an RBF or Rockefeller Foundation or however in part could be sort of monitoring those transactions to sort of play the role of like ensuring that they are actually having the good that they claim to have so that they kind of become the, the watchdog on these larger capital projects. I think the foundations do see themselves in a sense as the kind of guardians of impact in impact investing, because as this gets to be a bigger, uh, certainly a bigger marketing pitch for funds and, and, and everybody wants to be on the right side of, of sustainability issues and whatnot these days, then there is a danger that the impact kind of gets diluted and uh, the foundations want to make sure that, you know, if they're going to be certainly diverting, you know, precious grant dollars, that they're really getting an impact return on their investment. And the way they can do that in many cases is to be, you know, helpful in catalyzing larger, larger sums from commercial investors through all kinds of blended finance mechanisms, like you're talking about risk mitigation and first loss guarantees and and all kinds of various kinds of facilities that bring more capital in and then make sure, as you say, that the impact actually comes But through. my point is, is that maybe their best role and their best use isn't actually as an investor, but as the monitor. One of the promises of impact investing has always kind of been, look, hey, you guys, you can use your grant money in a more effective way by investing. But I feel like that is actually one of the things that's kind of alienating to the institutional investor community because it looks to a lot of these guys like, hey, it's just amateurs doing bad investments. If instead they were playing the role of policing the institutional investments and ensuring that sort of the sustainability goals were met, that in some ways seems like a function that they're better set up to do. Yeah, but policing is po- policing only goes so far. I mean, I think what's the, what's going the tipping point here is is when the impact um, when the impact thesis becomes actually the growth thesis or the oppor- you know the opportunity strategy for either upside, which is a tougher p- case to prove, but where it becomes risk mitigation for large for large investors. Whether that, as you say, is supply chain risks being mitigated, you know, because now there's, you know, there's, you know, because now we've dealt with water issues or now we've dealt with, you know, various kinds of of, of other things, whether we've dealt with the social unrest that might occur because of high levels of income inequality. And that is going to obviously be effect, you have an effect on the business uh, environment. So as institutional investors understand both the downside, you know, ways to mitigate downside risks and ways to take advantage of growth opportunities in the global economy. I think the impact proposition gets stronger over time 
And I think some institutional investors, big pension funds, in particular in Europe, you know, seems to be a year or two, I would say, ahead of the U.S. So the Dutch and the Swedish and the, and the Norwegians are already, for example, committing, you know, big pension funds and are committing themselves to the sustainable development goals as a framework. Um, and they will have to be measured, as you say, against what the what the actual results are. But there is at least now an alignment of those big pension funds with those kind of goals. And the U.S. pension funds, you know, some of them are, are coming along as well. So, so David, I think that, that you know this framework that that we've been uh, using more recently of saying that well, to achieve the UN Sustainable Development Goals by 2030, uh, it's it's going to cost X many trillions of dollars worth of investment, and so therefore, let's figure out some impact investing products that can kind of address those those challenges. I feel like that's a, that's a new twist and a new way to frame the impact investing opportunity. In my sense, the, the initial framing of impact investing was uh, not there are X trillions of dollars worth of opportunity and deals that have to get done that requires this type of capital uh, focused in this way, but instead it was more about, hey, let's do something that's not traditional aid and philanthropy and grant making and that's not traditional capital markets, but that's using the tools of capital markets to have uh, a more sustainable uh, uh, long-term solution. And and so so I, I, I wonder if it's just like the, the is this just a need to you know, 10 years now after the, the term impact investing was coined, are we now needing to pivot with how we frame impact investing uh, and, and think about it, not necessarily from the point of view of, hey, if you have some money and you want to put it to work in a more thoughtful way, more conscious way, then use this approach uh, as, as opposed to, hey, we as a society have trillions of dollars worth of need. Um, and let's use impact investing as a tool to solve those needs. I think there's a little bit though of like, be careful what you wish for, right? Like if, if impact investing were to pivot to purely being about, hey, how do we get big checks into these big needs? A lot of sort of the, the issues that it deals with most effectively and a lot of the most sort of neediest causes and problems would then be neglected. There's a lot of sort of, the niche stuff that impact investing does that isn't going to be institutional and that that also you know that, that is much more sort of firmly in the traditional foundation and philanthropy space and a lot of that work is really really valuable there's no need to give that up but you also have to be realistic and recognize that that is going to be a turn off to a lot of institutional investors and and what happens is, you know, it's sort of what I call institutional branding in some ways. If it, Still, if you go to an institutional investor and they're like, hey, I'm an impact fund, you're going to get the door, a lot of times you're going to get the door shut in your face because they are concerned that it's this niche little thing that isn't really focused on returns and isn't really about asset management. So is it to get to scale then it has to go pivot from impact investing being a noble way to slowly lose money to a noble way and a smart way to, uh, in, in the long term, make more money? You have to call it investing, right? It has to pivot from its sort of social philanthropy roots into real finance. And then you have to convince your investment base that that's really what you are. And that's the bit that even despite all the pledges and despite all the commitments, that's the bit that's missing. And part of that, again, is a 
a need to professionalize the industry. It's a need to have money managers who actually come from a finance and investment background as much as people coming from an impact or a social development background and apply the tools of finance such as risk management in addition to these impact conversations. Now, David Bank, you, you come from uh, the world of, uh, of traditional journalism, Wall Street Journal, covering uh, the tech sector, especially in, in uh, Silicon Valley, for many years uh, for the Wall Street Journal. And, and how did you come to start looking at this space yourself? To, to, and, and starting realizing that there's a story here to be covered. Well, I mean, I, I, I came at it actually from seeing these long-term trends and I would say, you know, um, fundamental drivers in the economy becoming investable. And I would say, I agree with you, Imogen, except I do think there's kind of a staging of this that's important to understand. And I would say different sectors are at different stages of investability. And clearly, you know, like um, the climate case, which we've talked about many times on this show, uh, is probably, you know, furthest along and, and the numbers are sort of well understood. And, you know, there's ups and downs and whatnot, but there's a sort of inexorable trend in that. Now, other things are not quite as neat and clean, but are also moving along. So, you know, there's interesting dislocations or, or disequilibriums like there's, you know, a considerably more demand now for organic food than there is supply of it, right? That's an interesting fact for anybody who's thinking about the future of agriculture. Um, and those kinds of things exist in, in, in multiple sectors now. So it is really, as you say, Imogen, investing, but it's investing based on a more comprehensive understanding of kind of what are what's happening but you know in the in the global economy there's lots of evidence now that really global growth is going to be driven by this emergence of the middle class you know across the developing world um, who are going to be consuming hopefully more sustainable you know goods and services so electric cars and you know solar lights and and sustainable you know foodstuffs and that if you think of that as where gro global growth would come from and you want to be you know, positioned for that over the next few decades, you, know, you, just call, you can just call it investing now. And that's kind of part of my point, right? Like, don't call it impact. Tell me, you know, this is a global growth opportunity and I'm going to be interested. If a byproduct of that is that I'm saving the world, great. But I, I as an institutional investor, I'm not taught to to lead with this idea that I want to save the world. There's also a problem with how portfolio construction, right? And that investors don't parcel up the world like that. So, so they don't look for the niche opportunities. They look for the managers and an overall allocation. I think that is starting to change and that could make a real difference, right? You are now seeing people like start to invest in water funds because they recognize that water is an opportunity. So. If I start looking for these niche and niche opportunities, a byproduct of that very easily could be that I start investing in more sustainable strategies and then buy into the overall argument. An asset, an asset manager that we both know likes to say, uh, come for the return, stay for the impact. Yes. <laughs> so is that what it's going to take for, for all impact investors to position themselves as great investments that happen to have great impact as well? Because some of them are going to be terrible investments, right? There, isn't, there, there is a sleeve of impact investing that is not going to produce high returns and shouldn't, right? If I'm investing in inner city Chicago, trying to figure out how can I get 
people into jobs and, you know, start up businesses and houses. I don't necessarily want that to be a really profitable enterprise. So it's, it's really well, matching the capital to the investment opportunity. Yeah, let me just let me just say that and I that I agree and I do don't think we have to sort of any statement that starts with all impact investors is probably not going to be right because there's a huge range of 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 different uh interests and 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 objectives and what we really want is we want to basically have every different player play their part in this. So as Imogen said, foundations may have a specific role to play that they are well positioned to do and big pension funds have their role and small social enterprises um, have their role. And in fact, I think the strength of the impact investing uh, marketplace is that there are lots of different kinds of players all um, working different angles. So if, as long as they're, they're all playing to their strengths and all playing their role, you think that uh, this, this practice of impact investing will go to scale? David? Seems to keep growing, you know, it seems to keep growing. I mean, I've been watching it now for a few years and you keep thinking that the hype wave is done with and it keeps it seems to keep growing. So I'm, I'm bullish. Imogen, are you bullish? I think that you kind of hit on the crucial issue by saying so long as people play the role to which, to which they're best suited. I think the danger is, is that people don't play the role that they're best suited to, but instead try to be something else. And that has the danger of undermining the sort of broader impact cause. You mean if, if trying to be a wolf in sheep's clothing? Or a sheep a in wolf's clothing. Sh yeah, basically trying to be a sheep in wolf's clothing. I will point out that Imogen and I have reverted to type. And so she is the curmudgeonly uh, uh, a skeptic who who's, uh, ends on a cautionary note. And I'm the sort of wild-eyed optimist who's, who's eternally bullish. And that's, you know, right, right where we usually are. Well, so as, we're, as we're, long as we have... We're, 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 all, we're, all, playing our, we're yeah. all playing our assigned role. Yeah. <laughs> as, long as, as long as we're all doing our part. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Returns on Investment. Thank you, Imogen. Thank you. And thank you, David. Thanks, you guys. Uh, if you like the show, be sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, also, leave us a rating and comment because that helps other people discover the show. For more on the Impact Investing Marketplace, follow us on Twitter at Impact Alpha. And check out the website, impactalpha.com, where you can sign up for the daily newsletter, The Impact Brief, uh, which is really, really great. It's really taking off. So kudos to David and the team. Uh, if you have any feedback or comments, you can email us at info at impactalpha.com. Special thanks, as always, to our technical producer, Isaac Silk. Thank you, Isaac. Uh, on behalf of David Bank and Imogen Rose Smith, I'm Brian Walsh. Thanks so much for listening to Returns on Investment. We look forward to speaking again soon.